All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Okay. So here we are, um, the second half of Ephesians. Uh, Paul has done this in other epistles. He, he did this in Romans. Uh, he did this in Galatians. He'll do it in Philippians and Colossians, uh, where he presents um, some doctrine, something that he wants the church to learn. And then he makes a pivot where then he moves into practical application. Now, having learned this thing, having been exposed to this truth, how ought you to live? What should be your response to these things? So, in this case, what are the things that Paul has taught us? Well, in Ephesians 1 through 3, he taught us that the church, the people of God, Old and New Testament alike, Jew and Gentile, were chosen in God before the foundation of the world. We were redeemed by the blood of, the, of Christ. Uh, we are sealed together by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of his inheritance. We are built up into a holy temple. We are those who were walking in our sins and trespasses, but then God made us alive together with Christ. And as I said, he is building us up into a temple into the Lord. And this was all part of the mystery of the gospel that was given to Paul to then proclaim to the churches, the mystery which is Gentile inclusion into the body of Christ, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise. Because if you remember in chapter 2, he talks about the Gentiles, how, how they were alienated. They were without Christ. They were away from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then God in Christ brings them near. He brings them near by abolishing the separation, the wall of separation that, uh, you know, is metaphorically speaking of that wall in the temple that uh, separated the court of the Gentiles from where the Israelites, the Jews, would uh, worship. Uh, that wall has been broken down in the body of Christ. And now there's one new man in the place of the two. So he brought near those who were far off and he brought near those who were close and united them together and they are being built up into a temple unto the Lord uh, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself being the cornerstone. That's the mystery. That's the mystery that Paul has been called to preach, the, the, the mystery that he has been called to proclaim, uh, something that was not revealed fully in the Old Testament is now being fully revealed. Why? Because Christ has come in the fullness of time. Now that Christ is here, what was veiled is now unveiled. What was hidden is now revealed. So Paul is the minister of this, the steward of this mystery. And then he prays at the end of chapter 3 that this truth would sink into our hearts, that we would know these things, that we would comprehend 
the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ, that we would be filled with the fullness of God. And then he closes with that great doxology in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3. So that's the truth that Paul wants us to know, that the glory of Christ is being revealed in the church by her being chosen before the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world, and built up together, Jew and Gentile, to one body. So now as Paul pivots into the practical section, the response to that is, how shall we live? How shall we live out this mystery of the gospel? How shall we live out the fact that we are one new man in Christ? How shall we live out the fact that we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be in Christ? How shall we live out these truths? Well, Paul is going to outline that in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And really, just like he did in Romans, where um, the idea of being a living sacrifice was sort of the... Uh, the central governing thought of everything that followed after that. Well, same thing here. Uh, I would argue that what he says here in chapter 4, verse 1, where he beseeches us to walk worthy of the calling by which we were called, that is going to be the governing thought for the rest of the, the book. It's the worthy walk. How does the worthy walk look? What is the worthy walk? Uh, how does that uh, uh, look in our lives? What, what are those who are walking the worthy walk what do they do? What do they say? What do they think? Uh, and that's going to govern the rest of the book, really. And then he'll close with uh, spiritual warfare when we get to chapter 6. So really, the rest of this chapter, the rest of this book really is, how do we live out the mystery of the gospel? And here I'm going to say that, at least from this passage, as we look at verses 1 through 6, Christians are to manifest to make known this mystery of the gospel by or through a worthy walk. We are to make known this mystery of the gospel through a worthy walk. So you've got there in verse 1 a worthy walk, which is then further characterized as a humble walk and a unified walk. So those are your three points there on your outline. A worthy walk, a humble walk, and a um, unified walk. So Paul begins again the practical application of the mystery of the gospel by beseeching or urging uh, the, the, the Ephesians to do something. I beseech you, the word there, parakaleo. Okay, we're going to see here in this verse the word or a word for calling three times. In other words, you could say, I'm calling you to walk worthy of the calling by which you were called. Okay, so... And, and, and so he's, he's emphasizing this idea of a calling by using a word, parakaleo, which is to call alongside, to summon, to exhort, to entreat, to instruct, to beseech, to urge. And he is urging them to walk worthy or to have a worthy walk. And he's basing this urging, this beseeching, on the fact that he is, again, as he says here, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. He said this. Um, in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, and then he pauses to talk about the mystery, and then he prays, and now it's almost as if he's picking up that thought again as well. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Uh, we mentioned it back in chapter 3, verse 1, it stands to reason here as well, that Paul 
recognizes that even though he is a prisoner in a Roman prison, that he is there because he is, in a sense, a prisoner of the Lord. He is the Lord's prisoner. Not in a negative way, but he is the Lord's prisoner. He is the Lord's servant. And everything that happens to him is, in a sense, from the hand of the Lord. And he recognizes that, and he doesn't bemoan that, right? You know, if you read through the book of Philippians, he's like, okay, I'm in prison, and people are taking advantage of that. I don't care as long as the gospel's preached. I take joy in that. I take joy in my circumstances. I take joy when I'm, when I'm built up. I take joy when I'm made to bring, you know, brought low because I know that Christ has me. So I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and I, I relish that, and I, I don't bemoan that fact. And because I'm a prisoner of the Lord, now I'm going to urge you. In other words, I'm going to urge you to walk a worthy walk. It is a walk that he himself has also walked, right? Paul is, strives to walk worthy, which is why in 1 Corinthians he could say, imitate me as I also imitate the Lord. He's not saying, imitate me because I'm some paragon of virtue. <laughs> He's like, imitate how I try to follow the Lord, right? I, and I know I don't do this perfectly. He says, but imitate my walk. Imitate my way of following the Lord. And here, again, he's urging them from uh, this idea of being a prisoner of the Lord. Now you may, you may be asking, what is a worthy walk? Or to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called? Well, the word there, worthy, is means to sort of do so suitably or in a manner that is becoming. In other words, walk in a way that is consistent with the calling you have from Christ. Walk in a way that is suitable as one who has been called by Christ. Walk in a way that is uh, a manner that is fitting for one who has been called by Christ. This is not something Paul has said only once. Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 27 uh, he there, he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And there really that phrase in Philippians 1 where it says, let your conduct be worthy. Um, he's, he, it's, it's really the word for citizenship. Let your citizenship be worthy. Because later on he's going to say in Philippians that you are citizens of the kingdom. You're not citizens of this world. So let your, let your citizenship or let your conduct be worthy of what? The gospel of Christ. He'll say it again in Colossians, just the next book over. Chapter 1, verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of of God. So there again, the worthy walk. You can take note of these references, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So again, this walk, which is just a metaphor for how you live your life, is to be one that is suitable for one who has been called into the kingdom, for one who has been called by Christ, for one who is called into his service. 
right? In other words, God has put his seal upon you. He has put his stamp on you. Now walk worthy of that. Walk worthy of this calling. Walk in a manner fitting of this calling. Do so suitably. Now, it doesn't mean that we will be judged by our conduct or how we conduct ourselves. We're not talking about some form of final salvation where you are, yes, you're saved by grace, but now, you know, in order to get into heaven, once, once you die, we're going to look at your works and see how you walked your life. No, it is not that. I would say a thousand times no, a million times no. Why? Because that would contradict everything Paul said in, ver- in chapters 1 through 3. Right? I mean, Paul says you were chosen in him, in Christ, to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were redeemed by his blood. You were sealed by his spirit. More importantly, what you see in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you are saved by grace uh, through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not of works. This worthy walk is not to be saved. This worthy walk is a response to having been saved. It is the fruit of a life that has been born again. It is the fruit that grows from the Spirit now being in you and sanctifying you, right? Because what does chapter 2, verse 10 say? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works, in order to walk worthy. That's the point Paul is making. You're not saved by your worthy walk. You're not going to, your, your, your entrance into heaven is not going to be based on your worthy walk. Because at that point, then you'll be like, well, how worthy does your walk have to be? Right? I mean, 90% worthy? 92% worthy? What's, what's a passing grade? Well, you know, I mean, if you go by the law of God, it's got to be 100% worthy, okay? Is anybody going to walk a 100% worthy walk? No, absolutely not. Get out of here, bug. There's a big old fly right there in my Bible. (laughs) No, it is not, we're not talking about a final salvation or a final justification based on a worthy walk. It is a walk that flows out of our salvation, as I said Verse 10 comes after verses 8 and 9 in chapter 2. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works, in order to walk in the works that God has prepared for you, that you should walk in them. So the worthy walk is a call then to live out the life God has called us to. To live out the life God has called us to. That's why Paul continues in verse 1 by saying, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The calling with which you were called indicates and suggests that there's a passive element to this. You were called, right? It suggests God's work in this. He calls you to this walk. You've been called out of darkness, out of walking in the way of the world. Now walk in the way of light, is what he's saying here. God has called us to a calling, and that's... Now Paul is calling us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which we were called. Okay? If you, did you get all those calls there? Okay. We are called to a calling that Paul is now calling us to walk worthy of. Um, I think of Romans 8, verses 28 to 30. You know this passage well. 
And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So God calls us. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. That's the worthy walk, is being conformed into the image of his Son through sanctification, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. So the worthy walk is a walk that flows out of one who has been chosen, redeemed, and sealed. It is one that is worked in us by faith through the Holy Spirit. It is a walk suitable for ones who have been called by God. And Paul's going to repeat this, right? Uh, look at chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, test, and testifying the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So there, part of the worthy walk is don't walk like the Gentiles walk. By Gentiles, he's not talking about Gentile Christians. He's talking about those outside of the covenant community. Don't walk like people outside in the world. Don't imitate the world. Don't, you were once there. Now you're out of that. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you were called. Or chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love, as he's, well, chapter 5, verse 1, really. Be imitators of God as dear children. We'll explain that when we get to that verse later, <laughs> not today. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Or chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you're light. Walk as children of light. Again, this idea is you're, you're no longer in the world. Think of when we looked at Romans, Romans 6. He's like, okay, you are no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer dead in sin. You're now alive to Christ and God. Walk in a manner worthy of that. So it is a worthy walk to which we are called. And now, i turn my watch notifications off. And now it's also a humble walk, is in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 2 first, but in verses 2 and 3, Paul has there two helping verbs that describe further this worthy walk. It is a walk that bears with one another in love, and it is a walk that endeavors to keep the unity. And we'll look at those separately. But first, uh, the worthy walk is one that bears with one another in love, and that word there, to bear, means to hold up, to sustain, to endure. Uh, other translations um, show, like uh, New American Standard has showing tolerance. A New Living Translation, making allowance. It is bearing with one another. It is, it is bearing with one another's weaknesses, bearing with one another's faults, but doing so not in frustration, like, oh, i got to put up with that again. It's bearing with one another in love. Why? Because that's how Christ bears with us, right? You know, think of, think of how many times we disappoint the Lord in any given day. And is Christ sitting there at the right hand of the Father in heaven saying, i got to intercede for Carl again? Ugh, that loser. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'll intercede for... No, he's bearing with one another in love 
love in love. Think of that great, you know, when we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the, the love passage, right? Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, what do we see here about love? What is love? Well, one of the things it does in verse 7 is it bears all things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. So it is a bearing with one another in love. It is, uh, uh, it is also done with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. So that just kind of flushes out this idea of the humble walk, one that bears with one another in love with lowliness gentleness, and long-suffering. So you think of um, this, these ideas here of lowliness. Uh, the word there, and you might have humility in some other translations. Um, it's interesting because this is a word that is not normally found in the pagan writings of the day. Why? Because it's a virtue that was not held highly <laughs> during the pagans of that day. You didn't want to be humble. You didn't want to be thought low of, right? It just means a making low of. And, and, and I mean, we don't, we don't value humility so much today, do we? I mean, we kind of say we do, maybe. But really, if you think about it, who's rewarded? It's the one who is, who is sort of, you know, puts himself out there. The one who is sort of maybe uh, mild, mildly arrogant. Um, the one who is a little more aggressive. Uh, the one who seeks and goes after something. Um, but here, says, you know, Jesus says, in lowliness, in gentleness, or meekness, in uh, long-suffering, patiently, patiently, meekly, humility, humbly, this is the way we are to bear with one another in love, and it is part of the worthy walk. This worthy walk is first characterized by the fact that we bear with one another in a way that reflects how Jesus bears with us. Again, if you think of this idea of lowly and meek and humble and gentle, um, how does the the attitudes go in the Sermon on the Mount? Right? In chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, blessed are the poor in spirit. Here is Jesus on a mountain speaking to his disciples in a sort of in a way that Moses was on a mountain, right? And he pronounces beatitudes. He pronounces blessings on his disciples. And he says, you are blessed if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are merciful, who are peacemakers, who are pure in heart, those who are persecuted. The world would look at that and say, no, you're not blessed if you're poor in spirit, if you mourn, if you're meek, if you're hungering and thirsting, if you're merciful, if you're... No, but Jesus says you are blessed if you are these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Back in 1 Corinthians 13 again. How does love act? Well, it suffers long. Chapter 13, verse 4, 1 Corinthians. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. 
does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Again there, this idea of love that Jesus is talking about, that Paul is talking about, is a love that is humble, a love that is meek, a love that is gentle, a love that is patient, bearing with one another in love. Why? Again, because we know how much God has put up with us. Think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Now, this is the process of sanctification, right? It's not like you come to faith and you're instantly all these things perfectly all at once. I mean, would that it were so. <laughs> I mean, would that were that so. But it is the part of the process of sanctification, right? The Holy Spirit works in us, and oftentimes sanctification seems to be more uh, manifest when you realize how far you fall short, right? How far you fall short of a humble walk, how far you fall short of a worthy walk. Um, take heart in that. Take heart in that, because that's the Spirit working in you. It is the Spirit changing you from the person you once were to the person he wants you to be. And, and maybe, you're, you know, maybe you're not the person then who instantly becomes more loving and gentle and meek and kind, but maybe you're the person who uh, grows more uh, you know, mournful of your own lack of gentleness, your own lack of kindness. Because before, you probably wouldn't have cared. <laughs> right? Think about that. Before you come to Christ, you probably don't care if you were not kind, if you were rude, if you were uh, impatient. You're just saying, well, that's just who I am. Well, the Spirit is changing who you are. And as a result of that is a worthy walk. As the Spirit sanctifies us, as the Spirit begins at work, right? You know, the Gospel oftentimes comes as a hammer, right, and, and bashes us, right? The law comes as a hammer, I should say, bashes us. The gospel comes as, as a salve that, that uh, you know, uh, brings healing. And then the spirit comes in. He doesn't, sometimes he comes in with a hammer. Sometimes the spirit comes in with a scalpel, right? And is like slowly cutting at those, you know, those areas that you don't want cut, right? You know, you're like, ah, not that one. Yes, that one. That's the one where I want you to work on. The worthy walk is one in which we bear with one another in love, showing forth humility, meekness, patience. And again, these are not qualities the world values. Right? You know, the world does not lift up the humble, the meek, the patient. The world lifts up those who are aggressive, those who are go-getters, those who, who uh, assert themselves, right? That's what the world lifts up. The Lord values these qualities. These are part of the worthy walk. Finally, in verses 3 through 6, the worthy walk is also characterized by being a unified walk. Paul here strives us, and the, 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 the main verb here is endeavoring. So whereas in verse 2, the main verb there was bearing, which supports the worthy walk. The worthy walk is one that bears with one another in love. The worthy walk is also one that endeavors to keep the unity of the Spirit. How? In the bond of peace. And then we'll get to verses 4 through 6 in a moment. But this, the, the worthy walk is a unified walk. Paul urges, Paul beseeches us 
to strive to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this governing characteristic here that Paul highlights is endeavoring, which the word there gives the idea of hastening to, to exert yourself, to give diligence to this. Right? If you have an ESV, you might say eager to keep the unity in, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. New American Standard says being diligent of this. Christian Standard Bible. Making every effort. So endeavoring, being eager, being diligent, making every effort. Right? You kind of get the idea of what Paul is getting at here. It's like this should be front of center in your mind is endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There, that word keep means to attend to, to take care of, to guard. Guard it. You guard it. Why? Because peace is so often lost if we are not diligent, if we're not eager, if we're not hastening to keep it. And, of course, unity, agreement, Comes from the, it's derived from the Greek word for one. Now, this is not just any old unity, right? You know, we're not talking about a worldly unity. We're not talking about a unity of ethnicity. We're not talking about a unity of political views. We're not talking about a unity of sports affiliation. Sorry, Nebraska fans, okay? It's like the unity is not maintained in the church because we're all Nebraska Cornhusker fans uh, or. Uh, if I so, you know, if I so uh, manage to persuade you to be Chicago Bears fans, okay, well, that's not how we keep the unity here in the church. It is not just any old unity. It's a unity of the spirit. It is a unity that is founded in and generated by the Holy Spirit. Again, think of, you know, I'm going to be flipping back and forth, but in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul there talks about the church as the body, right? That's a very common metaphor. We've looked at that. We've seen that already in Ephesians. But here he says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that, uh, of that one body being many are, uh, are one body, so also is Christ. In verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, have been all made to drink into one spirit. That unity is a unity of the spirit. As the spirit unites us to Christ, it doesn't matter what you once were before. Think of Galatians 3.29, right? Uh, we're all one in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, uh, Greek or barbarian. You're all one in Christ. It is a unity of the spirit. Not any other unity that we can think of in the world. And then, of course, this is bound together in peace, right? That word for bind is, is kind of a derivative of the word for prisoner that you see in chapter 4, verse 1. So uh, bound together, just as a prisoner is bound here, what binds this unity is peace. And, and again, you know, think of peace in a Christian sense. Not peace because we don't argue with one another, but peace that is derived because we first have peace with God in Christ, and also because now that the wall of hostility has been broken down, we have peace with one another. Right? Uh, go back to chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made both, Jew and Gentile, one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, uh, in verse 16, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. That's the peace that Paul is talking about, the peace that we have in Christ with God and the peace that we have in Christ with one another. So it is a horizontal, and a, or a vertical peace and a horizontal peace. So the worthy walk is one that bears with one another in love. The worthy walk is one that endeavors, that makes diligence, makes haste to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then Paul closes in verses 4 through 6 with what this kind of unity should look like with seven ones, okay? There is, what kind of unity we're talking about? Well, there's one body, one spirit, just as you're called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. The reason why there's unity is because there is one body, one body of Christ. Yes, there are many instances of the body of Christ. You have the body of Christ here. You have the body of Christ down the street. You have the body of Christ in the town next over. You have the body of Christ in the next state, in the next country, across the world. You have the body of Christ in several instances, but it is all one body. One body. One spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that all that indwells us all is the same Holy Spirit that unites us all to Christ. One hope. There's one Christian hope, and that is the hope of glory that we have, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. One Lord Jesus Christ, right? There's only one Lord Jesus Christ. There's one Lord that we acknowledge. There's one Lord that we confess. There's one Lord in whom there is salvation as as uh, Peter and John say in Acts chapter 4, there's one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved, the name Jesus Christ. It is the same name that every tongue will confess. It is the same name that every knee will bow down to. One Lord. One faith. Is he talking about the saving faith? Maybe. I think it's probably more talking about the objective content of our faith, the faith. There is one Christian faith. Paul often talks about this. You know, Jude talks about the faith delivered once for all to the saints. And he's talking about the content of our faith. One baptism. What does Paul mean by that? He could mean water baptism. He could mean spirit baptism. He could mean both. But we, you know, whichever one he means, there is one spirit baptism. Right? We, as we just saw in 1 Corinthians 12, we're all baptized by the same Spirit into the body. We all have one water baptism, whether that's by immersion or sprinkling or dunking or dipping or whatever, whether that's infants or adults. It's still one water baptism. So one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, one God and Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is above all and through all and in you all. And again, think about what we learned in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I'm not going to go, we're not going to read through that again, but the whole point of that passage was to show how God in Christ is making one new 
man, again, think of that unity there, the unity and the bond of peace. One new man out of the two. He's, he is taking those who are far off, those who are alienated, those who are without Christ, without the promises, without the covenants, and he's bringing them in. It's like, you're going to be one new man. I'm building this thing together. A body, a temple that is going to be comprised of people from every tribe, tongue, nation in the world. One new man in Christ. And again, this metaphor of the body uh, to speak of the church. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 12. We see the same thing in Romans 12. There in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members thereof. The body of Christ is a unity that is made out of the diversity of the members. Okay, We're going to look at the diversity of the members in the next section, verses 7 through 16. But here Paul is emphasizing the unity of the body. Again, it's the same Holy Spirit who regenerates us. It is the same Holy Spirit then through that faith that is, re- that is generated in us, unites us to Christ. We are all part of the body. Think of the, the metaphor that John uses, that Jesus uses in John 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches, right? Many branches united to one true vine, driving life from that one true vine. One faith we confess is the same faith that the early church confessed. Their hope is our hope. Their baptism is our baptism. Their God is our God. Their spirit is our spirit. Their Lord is our Lord. The worthy walk is a unified walk. As I said, the worthy walk is going to be the theme that's going to carry us through chapter 4, 5, and 6 as Paul concludes his letter. Um, pretty much every exhortation that Paul makes, uh, you could say, you could really just say, is an outflow of the worthy walk. Is an outflow of a walk that is characterized by one who is called by God, called by Christ out of the world into the church. And we need these exhortations, right? We need these exhortations to walk worthy, to walk humbly, to walk unified. Why? Because our flesh fights against this, <laughs> right? Our flesh fights against this. Just go on to Christian Twitter or Christian X or Christian Facebook and see Christians arguing with one another over some of the silliest things. Maybe not so silly, maybe not silly to them, but a lack of unity. Okay, I'm not saying that we're, you know, we all have to agree on all the same points of doctrine all the way down the line, But there should be a sense of unity, right? If you hold to the church as one body with one spirit, with one hope, with one Lord, with one faith, with one baptism, one God and Father, our flesh fights against this. Our flesh wants to boast, right? Our flesh wants to boast in what we've done, yet we're to walk humbly, with humility, with patience. We want to be impatient. With gentleness, we want to be harsh sometimes, right? I'm a truth teller, you know, I'm going to just tell them the truth and they're going to take it. And it's like, well, maybe there's a call for that at times, but, you know, maybe there's a time to speak the truth in love. (laughs) Maybe not just speaking the truth. (laughs) Speak the truth in love, right? Our flesh fights against this. We're prone to 
divide. And when that happens, we need to go back to chapters 1, 2, and 3 of this book. Right? Chosen before the foundation of the world. Redeemed by the blood. Sealed by the Spirit. Called out of this world. Made alive again. Being built up into a holy temple unto the Lord. The glory of Christ in the body of the church is seen in our worthy walk as we strive to walk humbly and unified in love and peace with all gentleness and all patience. And again, you're going to be like, well, I don't walk worthy all the time. I'll join the club. Neither do I. Okay? (laughs) We are all part of the club that includes people who don't walk worthy all the time. That's why the good news is that Jesus Christ perfectly walked the worthy walk, right? He walked the worthy walk. That's why he lived a life of 30 years of perfect obedience. That's why he was baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. That's why he went to the wilderness to be tempted. That's why he suffered with the, <laughs> the impetuousness of his disciples, with their, with their foolish hearts, with their hard hearts, with their thick skulls, right? You know, how many times, you of little faith, how many times? You know, when he says, oh, you of a little faith, I don't think he's being frustrated, okay? I think he's speaking generally. You have a small faith. That faith needs to grow. That faith needs to grow. So you of little faith. But Jesus Christ perfectly walked the worthy walk. And then we are saved by grace through faith in that Christ who walked a worthy walk. That worthy walk that he walked becomes, in a sense, that cloak that we wear. And then we are then called to imitate that. We're called to imitate that in our lives. So we are called to a life that is unto good works. Not saved by works, but a life that is unto good works. A worthy walk.